Good morning. I'm Pastor Kyle Thompson. I want to thank you all for being here today, whether you're with us in person or watching online or listening to our podcast. Thanks for spending Palm Sunday with us. What a great Sunday that we have to come and worship God. So grateful to Jordan and to the praise team for setting the mood and just bringing us into God's presence today as Holy Week is here. Uh, what a great Sunday as we celebrate Jesus riding into Jerusalem, knowing that by the end of the week it's going to be very difficult as he gives his life for us. And so what a roller coaster that we're on and uh, what a fitting way for us to finish up our series called Guarded in which we've been talking about how we go about our lives with our walls up to kind of protect ourselves from, from other people and even possibly from God and and how we pursue a relationship with God, a loving personal relationship means we've, we've got to let those walls down. We've talked about one word, uh, spiritual disciplines that we can practice and we're going to continue doing that today. And uh, we're going to wrap up with the baptism of one of our young ones and what a wonderful celebration that we'll be giving to Jesus. So thank you for being here. Uh, looking forward to next Sunday. Uh, Easter Sunday is our Super Bowl, maybe our masters, you would say, uh, of the year for Christians. And I just would encourage you to search your hearts prayerfully to invite one person that you care about and that, you, uh, that you're concerned for because they don't have a loving personal relationship with Jesus. This is one of the two chances this and Christmas that they might give you to come to church with you. We're going we're gonna to give it our best next week, just like we do every week, but especially next week to try and bring the gospel to folks in a way that's relevant. And so we pray that you would join us in that and that you would begin to make that ask this week and just trust the Holy Spirit uh, to welcome new guests here next week who really need to hear the good news of Jesus. Uh, when I was in college, one of the first people that I met was this guy. He's just had a magnetic personality, loved being around him. And uh, soon some other of my friends and I began to understand that um, he was an interesting kind of a guy, special kind of guy. Whenever we would tell a story about our life, he would always have a story that would beat that. I don't, I don't know if you know people like that in your life, but if we'd done something exciting, he'd done something 10 times as exciting. If we'd gone on a date with a beautiful woman, he's uh, dating a supermodel. If we'd won an award, he's got a gold medal. And I'm not exaggerating by some of the things that, that he would say. So he was always one-upping us. And uh, normally, folks who do that are, are not the kind of people that I want to spend time with, but he just had such a magnetic and special personality that that we stayed connected with him. And, 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 but we all knew, and everybody who knew him on campus knew that he was just full of BS, if you know what I mean. And so never believed a word that he had to say. And some of it might have been true. Now, one of the really sad things about this young man was that at some point in his life, he began to believe the lies that he was telling everyone else. He began to believe the stories that, that he was telling that everyone else knew were false. And and it was really sad because he was projecting an image of someone that he wanted to be or aspired to be, but wasn't really who he was. And in a way, he was rejecting the person, the beautiful person that God created him to be. And so he lived in this delusional world, and, and he was the only one who was, was doing that. And, and so in essence, he was a hypocrite. He was, he was pretending to be someone that he was not. Now, before we judge him too harshly or people like that in our lives who were similar to him, I think we probably all need to admit that on some level that we all also are hypocrites in our lives, that we pretend to be someone that we're not, that we project an image of ourselves that we would like to be, but, 
but we're not really. And so we want the world to think that we're smarter than we are, uh, that we're more intelligent than we really are. We're, we're better, maybe more spiritual, more Christian than who we really are. And, and so the word for that is hypocrite. It comes from uh, back in ancient Greece when the Greek actors used to put on plays and dramas. They would wear a mask and they would, they would assume a, a different persona. And so that was a hypocrite, someone who was wearing a mask, pretending to be someone that they weren't. And so I want to ask you a challenging question today, brothers and sisters, just for you to answer in your own mind and your own hearts. What mask are you wearing here today? What mask did you get in the car with and drive here today? What mask did you enter the theater today? What mask did you walk into this specific theater and sit down here? What mask are you wearing as you're listening online or, or watching us online? Who or what are you pretending to be? And what if, like my friend, you're the only person in the world who believes this lie that you're telling to the world? And what are the consequences of that? Not only for you personally, but for the people in your life that you care about, even people in the world that you might not know, you might be having consequences that are negatively affecting them. What mask are you wearing right now? Who are you pretending to be? What are you trying to hide from the world? The good news today is that Jesus can help us. And he has a way for us to be helped and, and to appreciate who we are and who God has created us to be. And that takes place in Scripture. So I want to dive right into that today. We're going to be in the New Testament in the Gospel of Mark. A gospel means the good news of Jesus. It's the story of Jesus, his life and his death and his resurrection. And, and Mark is the oldest gospel. It's the first gospel that was written. It's also the shortest gospel because Mark can't wait to get to the point of why Jesus came to get to his death and his resurrection. And so Mark uses a word that the other gospel writers don't use as much, and it's the word immediately. Immediately Jesus did this, and immediately the disciples did that, and immediately this, immediately that. And so if you want a no-nonsense, no-frills understanding of what the Bible's about, then check out Mark's gospel. He hits it right to the core. Had someone walk out today and shook my hand after the first service and said, In the spirit of Mark, I must immediately leave Pastor Kyle because the Masters is on. And so he left the place. <laughs> so thank you for being here while the Masters is being projected on, on television. But Mark has a sense of urgency. He's got to tell the story of Jesus because it affects our lives. It's life and death. It's, it's about everything that, that we should be about. And so Mark dives right in. So we're going to start with the story of Palm Sunday, the beginning of Holy Week, just where we are in our own calendar year. So Jesus and his disciples have come into Jerusalem. They're coming into Jerusalem. It's going to be the last time Jesus is going to die. He's going to be crucified. He's going to come back to life also that we can be restored in a right relationship with, with God. And so this is the story as he's getting ready to enter into Jerusalem. So let's jump in immediately to Mark chapter 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, just outside of Jerusalem, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt, right, a pony tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you doing this, uh, then say that the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. So they went and they found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? Are you, are, you, are you seriously stealing our horse? You know, what are you doing? But they answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. 
right? So they're, they're letting these disciples take this colt. When they brought the colt to Jesus and they threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. And many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches that they had cut out in the fields, kind of like these palms here. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, which means Lord save. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts where the people worshipped. And he looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So what's happening here, what this whole thing about going to get the cult and Jesus riding into the city of Jerusalem, all that's to fulfill a, a, an Old Testament prophecy that said this was going to happen. And the people of Israel are waiting for a Messiah which meant an anointed one by God to come and, and lead them. And specifically, they were waiting for someone to come and overthrow the Roman government that was sheltered and, and taken over Israel. It was a foreign ruler, an oppressive government that was making the people of Israel and the slaves and had taken over their country, and they were ready for that country to be overthrown. And so they look back to the Old Testament, to King David, of whom they mentioned a thousand years before when Jesus was there, who ruled the nation of Israel. Israel was a great country, like America is a great country today, and, and no one ruled over Israel. And so they read the scriptures say, believing that that Messiah was coming that it would be a spiritual leader, a man of God, that it would be a religious leader, a, a, a military leader, and a political leader, just like King David, and would come in and lead the people from, from this tyranny from the Roman government. And they'd heard that Jesus was this man, and he was now coming. right? And it, it was a time in the, in the history of the people of Israel, kind of like our 4th of July, our independence from Great Britain. That It's that kind of a, a, an atmosphere, and so... What happened was when Jesus came in, it was kind of like a pep rally, a national pep rally. And so the people saw him coming and they took off their cloaks and they laid them down for him to, to ride over as a sign of respect. They cut down the palm branches that were out and they were waving them kind of like pom-poms. And they were shouting, Hosanna, which means Lord, save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, right? The one who comes in the line of David. And, and so they were, they were ready for this military, political, religious leader and What's kind of ironic is instead of riding in a chariot, which would have been kind of the version of a tank with armored soldiers and wearing armor, which is what you would expect of a Messiah, Jesus was riding My Little Pony. Right? Straight out of the Old Testament, My Little Pony. That might have been their first clue that he was a different sort of a Messiah than what they were expecting, but they were portraying this religious demeanor, trusting God had sent them their chosen Messiah. Less than a week passes by. Jesus has been betrayed. He's been arrested falsely. He's been taken to the religious leaders of the day. And they're after Jesus. They don't think he's the Messiah. They think he's a faker, a blasphemer, that he goes against God. And, and they hate him so much that they want to kill him. They don't have the authority to do that. And so they decide to send him to the Roman ruler Pilate who is there in Jerusalem. And he has the power to kill Jesus and so they try and they take Jesus there and we pick up the story still in Mark's gospel, still with this sense of urgency. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law and the whole Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of the day, made their plans. So they bound Jesus and they led him away and handed him over to Pilate, right, the Roman ruler. Are you the king of the Jews, asked Pilate? You have said so, Jesus replied, because if, if he claims to be a king of the Jews... 
He's setting himself up against the emperor of Rome, Caesar. And so that means that he's going to have to go be wiped out by that. So the chief priest accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they're accusing you of? But Jesus still made no reply and Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner uh, whom the people requested. And a man named Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionist who'd committed murder in the uprising. Right? So this would be a man who wanted to overthrow the Roman government. He and some of his buddies were modern-day modern terrorists in their time in the first century. They'd killed some people. They'd been arrested now. Now they're probably awaiting execution. And so this guy Barabbas is someone who might be able to be released. Once a year, the Roman ruler would let go of one uh, criminal and let them go free. Right? So the crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. You, you always let go one prisoner. We want you to do that again now. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Meaning Jesus obviously asked Pilate, knowing it was all out self-interest that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to them. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. Give us Barabbas, don't give us Jesus. Give us the terrorist, don't give us the terrorist Jesus. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Crucify him. Why? Pilate asked. What crime has he committed? But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him. And wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. And he had Jesus flogged, which means Jesus was tortured, and handed him over to be crucified, which means to be nailed to a cross until he suffocated to death. So Jesus doesn't try to defend himself. The crowd wants Barabbas released rather than Jesus. And the heart-wrenching thing, as Jordan said, as we were singing this morning, was that it was the same crowd. Most of the crowd from the Palm Sunday who were saying, Jesus, we're with you. You're here to save us. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. God, save us. We are with you. Usher in the kingdom of God and in the kingdom of David are now saying, the very same people in less than a week, they're saying, kill him, crucify him. Some of the other gospel writers say that the crowd were saying, let his blood be on us and on our children. We take full responsibility. Wipe this guy out. He's not the Messiah we thought he was, so he should pay for that. And if you're like me, you ask the question, how can these people move from one day praising God, praising Jesus, asking Him to save them, to calling for Him to be tortured and killed through crucifixion? Right? The probably most painful way to die in the world. How do they do that? How do they move from there? I think there's a lot going on here, but I think it's safe to say that, that these, these folks were hypocrites. They were pretending to be someone that they weren't. They were wearing masks. They were pretending to be spiritual followers of God. When they didn't get their way, when they were disappointed by God himself, well, then their true nature came out. Instead of praising God, they were calling for the death of an innocent man, the Son of God, God himself. And so they were wearing some very serious masks that were hiding who they were. They weren't as spiritual. They weren't as religious. They weren't as forgiving. They weren't as grace-filled. They weren't as kind as they wanted the world to believe. Now we fast forward to the 21st century, and we are followers of God. We are followers of 
Jesus. And again, I think sometimes we are guilty of wearing masks, that we portray ourselves as better than who we really are, as being more spiritual and more holy than who we really are. And the world notices that. One of the top reasons that's listed from people who don't go to church is that the church is very judgmental. And that the church, the followers of Jesus, uh, a lot of folks are hypocrites. They do one thing on Sunday and then the rest of the six days they don't live like Christ. Or they do one thing on Sunday morning in worship, but before they get home, they're already portraying something else that's not very Christian. So the world sees a lot of followers of Jesus and say, if that's who Jesus is and that's who his followers are, we don't want to have anything to do with that. What mask, brothers and sisters, are we wearing today as we've come to worship God? And then it's not just uh, an individual who's kind of giving Jesus a bad name, but, but it, it, we become groups. We become a society. We become an entire nation. And, and so our hypocrisy doesn't just stay with us individually. It spreads to others, and pretty soon it, it affects a great number of people. We ask the question, why was World War II? Why did it have to be fought? How, how could an entire nation... A Christian nation decide that it's time to wipe out six million people because they're Jewish and they're different than who we are. It starts with one or two people who are prejudiced or who are racist, and it grows and grows into leaders who are racist. And pretty soon, the entire government and the entire Church of Germany is saying, okay, it's time to wipe out six million people, which is exactly what they did. How can Charlotte be number one in human trafficking in the state of North Carolina and in the top ten in the nation uh, for, for, for selling people, women and children, to be sex slaves or to have to work against their will and, and not be paid for that? It's because there's individuals in our city who have an appetite for that, who are going to pay for sex with people, even though it's forced against their will, who, who get into pornography that drives them to have this desire, that creates this whole pipeline of human trafficking. Or, or for those of us who aren't into sexual trafficking, who need cheap labor. We want to pay people to work in our yards or do our laundry or be maids in our, in our homes. And, and we want to pay them under the table. We know they're here illegally and, and we, we might know that they're here against their will, but we like that cheap labor and so we support that. And so our individual masks become a, a social mask, becomes a national mask. And, and pretty soon we're all in a lot of trouble. And it was the same way in Israel. The entire nation of Israel betrayed God right before Jesus was even there. They were wiped out by the Babylonians. They were wiped out by the Assyrians because they had leaders who were ungodly. They had individuals who were ungodly. So our individual mask wearing leads to a national mask wearing, leads to a lot of trouble. And those are questions I think we really have to wrestle with during Holy Week. How someone can move from praising God one minute to completely rejecting God the next. And so as we think about this series that we've been in about guarded and how we want to be in a personal, loving relationship with God and how, how do we do that? We've talked about letting down the walls. And, and today I'm talking about taking off the mask, taking off the, the mask of who we pretend to be or who we want the world to see and, and getting real with God and getting in front of God. And so, you know, so what? So what's the point? What's the big idea? What's the message in, in today's scripture? And I think it's this. For us to get vulnerable with God, we must first be vulnerable with ourselves. For us to be vulnerable with God, we must first be vulnerable with ourselves. And, and that means that we've got to take off our mask and we've got to look in the mirror at, at who we see staring back at us. Famous uh, 
Christian teacher and author C.S. Lewis used to ask a question, what's the most important conversation that you're going to have today? You know, and some people wanting to get on his good side, maybe kind of suck up to him, brown nose a little bit, would say, oh, the most important discussion that we're going to have today is between us and God when we pray to God. You know, surely, Mr. Lewis, that's what you're looking for. He said, that's close, right? That is a very important conversation. But he said, no, the most important conversation that you'll have today is a conversation you have with yourself before you have a conversation with God. As we talk to ourselves, am I going to be honest with God today? Am I going to try to look better to God than I really am? Am I going to try to hide the stuff that I know that's deep down within me that's dark and, and, and wrong? Or, or am I going to be honest with God today? Is this going to be the day that I really take off my mask and be who I am and say, God, this is me, the good, the bad, and the ugly. What do you think? Right, God, I, I want to know you and to be vulnerable with you, God. I need to be vulnerable with myself. How many of us are willing to do the work to take that mask off and to be honest and look into the mirror to be able to do that? And I know that some of us are thinking, right, to be vulnerable with God. You know, that, that sounds kind of wimpy. And, you know, Pastor Kyle, have you been watching Hallmark Channel with your wife, Laura, again? I mean, you know, be vulnerable with God. Oh, this is so touchy-feely. You're going to let down the walls. Where you're going to hold hands and sing Kumbaya. You know, what's that all about? But you know what? To be vulnerable with God takes a lot of guts. To be vulnerable with ourselves, to look in the mirror at who we really are, to stop believing the lies that we tell the world that everybody else sees through but us, to look for ourselves at who we are takes a lot of courage. It means we got to man up. It means we've got to woman up that there's some stuff that's not right inside of us. When we start to do some serious self-reflection, when we start to do some confession before God, then we decide and figure out that there is a tragic gap between who we pretend to be and who we really are. And that takes a lot of courage, brothers and sisters. And so I'm inviting you today to be courageous and to take off the mask and to look in the mirror and to see who you really are before God. And so our one word practice this week that I would invite you to, to take home is the word sorry. And simply to say to God this week, in this holy week, as, as, as God dies for us on a cross to say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the things that I've done against you. I'm sorry for the things that I've done against other people. Lord, I'm sorry for, for hiding this. And what we're doing, in essence, when we say we're sorry to God, is we're saying, God, I know you already know this stuff about me, but it's good for me to dig into this so that I can recognize who I am. Lord, I am sorry, and I need some help. And a, a secondary word is mercy, and we're going to come back to that in, in just a minute. But, but we start out by saying to God, I'm sorry by confessing who we really are and coming before God. Right? There's a lot of good stuff there, but there's a lot of stuff that we've hidden that we don't even want to address ourselves. So, Lord, I'm sorry. Now, there's some real benefits to this. There's some real good news in this. It's not all gloom and doom or guilt and shame. And in fact, it's the opposite. And I think a great thing that comes from this is that when we say to God that we're sorry, then it begins to break down the moral decay that's happening inside of our souls. It begins to break down the moral decay that, that's happening inside of us. Say, God, you know what? This is what I've done wrong. I'm not living the right life, Lord. I feel a lot of guilt and a lot of shame. I'm tired of that, God. I want to leave that behind. Lord, I know that you died on the cross for me. I know that you came back to life to forgive me. God, I need that now because I'm not strong enough to do it by myself. 
if, I, if I'm left up to myself, I'm going to keep doing all these wrong things in life, God. I'm going to keep experiencing guilt and shame. Lord, forgive me and come in me and live in me and show me a better way. Right? The Bible calls that repentance. It means to turn around. I'm tired of who I am. I'm tired of who I've been. I want to be someone new, God. So here it is. I'm laying it out, God. I need your help with this. If you've ever done this, there's something so liberating about just saying it out loud and getting it out of your system. It's like, man, I'm a real piece of work. But it feels so good to just get it out and to say, I can't do it on my own. And it begins to break the cycle of moral decay that's happening inside of us. Another thing that's positive that it is, it kind of lets us off the hook in a way to say, you know what, we're not perfect. We're human beings. We make mistakes, right? And, and, and we're not perfect right now. We're a work in progress. And the goal is to say, God, you know what, you know, thank you for helping me realize I, I'm not perfect, but that I can be a little bit better today than I was yesterday. I can take a baby step forward. I can take that next step. Right? That, that's what God is all about. God's in the transformation business. He meets us where we are, and He helps us become something more. He helps us become something better. And so, God, this is who I am. This is who I've been. Lord, forgive me. Help me take a next step to be more like you. That's what the biblical, theological idea of sanctification is. To be made holy means we're not there yet. But we're taking a step with the help of the Holy Spirit to become more holy today than we were yesterday. I'd say, God, I need you. I can't do this on my own. I know that I don't get to heaven because of what I do. But if I have faith in you, if I serve you, then what I do follows that. So, God, I need your help. It's refreshing to know that I'm not perfect, but, God, I'm a work in progress. Help me take a step closer to you. And I think one more thing that, that's a benefit of confessing to God, of repenting and turning to God rather than turning to who we really are, wanting to move on from that, is that we just see how amazingly merciful God is. God's the God of the universe. God's the God of justice and right and wrong. Absolutely. But God's also a God of mercy. And the Bible says God is slow to anger and he is quick to forgiveness. Right? And so when we turn to God with our confessions, we see how great God is. He's ready to forgive us. He's ready to take our guilt and shame away from us and replace it with joy and peace. He's ready to give us life to the full now on the earth and forever in the kingdom of God. He, he's ready to help us with the eternal consequences of death and hell, which means broken relationships and separation from each other and from God. And he helps us face the earthly consequences that we have brought about. If we've hurt people, we've hurt relationships, we've gotten in trouble at work, right? There are consequences, and God's going to help us get through those. Some of those He can't take away. We've got to face the music, right? He can help us with the eternal consequences, but He will help us get through the earthly consequences. So when we confess to God, we learn just how merciful God is. So what does this look like in everyday practice? It's a, it's a challenging thing, and I'll give you a, just a slice of what my life looks like. So many times, too many times in my life when I've prayed to God for forgiveness, it looks something like this. Dear God, please forgive me for my sins. Dear God, please forgive me for my wrongdoing. I take the easy way out. I take the wimpy way out. I just, I put a blanket over it, right? It's just, I've been bad. I've done wrong. And so God, just please forgive me. That's better than not doing anything, but I don't think it's what God intends. God intends for me to get down and be honest and, and, and name them. God, I failed my family in this way today. God, I failed the, the, the church, South Park Church today in this way. God, I let fear take over me today. God, I felt rage in, in, in my heart today. Lord, I was lazy today. God, I was a glutton today. God, right, 
forgive me for these specific sins. God, please forgive me that I've got a, a, a closet full of clothes that I don't wear when people live in the world don't have anything. God, please forgive me that I stuff my face every meal and I throw food away when most of the world is starving. God, I'm sorry that I hoard so many material items in my house when most of the world lives on $2 a day. God, my individual sin is part of a national sin, is part of a social sin. It, God, I really have messed up. That takes guts, and that takes courage. That takes trust that God is a God of mercy who's ready to forgive us. And so Brian McLaren, the writer of the book, Naked Spirituality, that this whole series has been based on, has a beautiful way of praying for forgiveness. And what he does is, is he names the specific sin that he's done, and, and, and he thinks of the person in his heart, Lord, please forgive me for lusting after so-and-so. Right? He breathes in the word lust, and he breathes out mercy. God, please forgive me for gluttony. Gluttony. And he breathes out mercy. God, please forgive me for being passive-aggressive today. Passive-aggressive. He breathes out mercy. Whatever the sin is, he, he breathes it in, and then he breathes out mercy. So we're facing our sin, and we're calling it for what it is, and we're letting it out and letting God's mercy flow through us. Right? It's right. a beautiful right. practice. Amen, brother. So if you haven't tried that, I would invite you to try that this week as you use sorry, as you use mercy, right? Breathe in that sin, let it out. At South Park Church, we ask ourselves questions. At the end of the day, two questions. Where did I resist Jesus today? Where did I work with Jesus today? Right? Resist, we breathe in. Work with Jesus, we breathe out. What mask are you wearing today, brothers and sisters? What mask is wearing you down that you really need to take off? We look back at that Palm Sunday crowd, and we are just we're blown away. We're incredulous that they could move from praising Jesus one minute to wanting to kill him the next. But the hard reality, the hardest thing that you're going to hear me say today is this. They're not the only ones who are guilty of that. We're guilty of that. We praise God in here. We sing praises to God. We pray. We give amens. We give affirmations to what we're doing. And how many of us, before we hit the parking lot, are going to be saying to someone we walked in with, can you believe so-and-so today? I can't believe what they were wearing or what they said. Right? We're already in the character assassination. We're in the lobby afterwards. We're looking across the room. We see someone that's attractive, and our minds are shifting into lust, right? Before we even leave the sanctuary, we could be doing that. We're going to go home. We're going to, we're going to eat a warm, great meal, and we're going to have some left over. We're probably going to throw away the people who are starving to death today, right? We're just as guilty as the people at Palm Sunday. We worship Jesus one minute, and we, 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 we call for his death the next. We killed Jesus just as much as the people did, right? And yet Jesus still loves us. He still came to die for us. As we sang earlier, we don't deserve it. We don't earn it. But God gives his love away, right? And so the good news today, brothers and sisters, is that when we say we're sorry and we mean it, God forgives us. And we can have that joy. We can have that peace. We can release the guilt. We can release the shame. We can become something more than who we are. And we can make the world a better place. And you know, a follow-up on our so what moment today is this, is that we can be vulnerable with God because God was first vulnerable with us. The God of the universe left heaven. He became a human being while still remaining God. He was betrayed. He was crucified. He died on the cross and he came back to life. If, if that's not vulnerable, I don't know what is. We can be vulnerable with God because he was first vulnerable with us. But to be vulnerable with God, we must first be vulnerable with ourselves. What mask are you wearing right now? Who are you pretending to be? Is that weighing you down? The good news today, brothers and sisters, is that you can take that mask off with the help of the Holy Spirit. 
And it starts with two simple words to God. I'm sorry. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious and ever-loving God, we thank you for forgiving us. God, we thank you that we're created in your image and that there's a lot of good in us. We thank you, God, that when we choose to do wrong things against you and bring lots of guilt and baggage and shame and harm into the world, that you still stand with us. That that's why you came to die on the cross. Good Friday wasn't good for you, it was good for us, Lord. And so we celebrate the emotional roller coaster of, of Holy Week, beginning with Palm Sunday as we have moved in towards Good Friday today. And so God, help us to search our souls and to be honest with you and to say how sorry we are for the specific sins in our life. As we breathe those in, Lord, help us breathe out through your mercy, God. We thank you that Good Friday is not the end, Lord, but that the resurrection Easter Sunday is coming that we will celebrate next week, and we can't wait for that. But this week, God, help us to struggle. Help us to wrestle. Help us to be real with ourselves and to be vulnerable and to have the guts, God, to be honest with ourselves and with you as we say that we're sorry, and we mean it, Lord, and we receive your grace and mercy. It's in the blessed, holy, loving, beautiful name of Jesus that we pray.